At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. On the big show tonight, trying to work it out, WeWork attempting to plow ahead with its IPO, despite a call from its biggest investor to shelve the offering. More bounce to the ounce. City getting bold on gold with a blinding $2,000 an ounce target. Our traders will debate that. And get out of the kitchen. Starbucks and Chipotle feeling the heat from two separate probes by regulators. But first... Was it Apple Day? Was there something going on yeah, in a little bit. Bertino, California? I think, I think that, yeah, I think it was. Josh Lipton gets us up to speed with all the releases today. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, Apple's biggest day of the year is over. So what did investors learn today? Well, you saw Apple CEO Tim Cook. He took the stage and introduced three new smartphones. So that includes the no lower-priced iPhone 11, faster processor, 6.1-inch display, better battery life. One interesting note there, the price, $699. So about $50 cheaper than its predecessor, the 10R, which, remember, is Apple's bestseller. Then on the high end, the iPhone 11 Pro, that's $999 with a 5.8-inch display, and the iPhone 11 Pro Max at $1,099 with a 6.5-inch display. All those phones shipping on September 20th. The analysts are starting to weigh in. Piper's Mike Olson, who is overweight the name, saying he actually expects a muted reaction for these new phones, but he's telling his clients, listen, as long as new iPhone hardware and services can perform well, he thinks that does tide investors over until 5G hits. Now, it wasn't just iPhones. There was a focus on wearables today, too. We did see that new watch. It's going to start at $399 and $499 with 4G network connectivity comes with new features like the always-on display. That just means you're going to be able to see time and notifications when you haven't raised your wrist. That lands on in stores on September 20th. And finally, we did get more details on those new services. So Apple TV Plus rolling out November 1st. It's going to cost $4.99 per month for a family account. That did surprise some since we saw those reports which suggested Apple was at least weighing 10 bucks a month. And then Apple Arcade, the game subscription service, launches September 19th. Also for $4.99, Michael Pachter of Wedbush reminds us Apple is attacking a big market out here. There's 1.5 billion people who play those cell phone games. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton and Cupertino. So that raises a few questions here. Is Apple's aggressive TV pricing enough to accelerate growth in services, which, of course, has been key to the bullish Apple story? And are the new devices enough to keep investors around until the big 5G upgrade next year? Pete, what do you think? Yeah, I would expect so. I mean, I I think services have been the focus for the last couple of years. We've all talked about it. Now it's over 21 percent of what they actually have for revenue this past quarter, which was a record setting quarter once again, which for third quarter, which was amazing. Um, yeah, Mel, I look at this, and, they, and he mentioned wearables, and it almost kind of sped past that, actually. And I think that's the focus now. I think services are back, you know, years ago. Now I think you look at wearables, and the wearables growth, the growth rate that they've got there, and you look at the margins, and you're talking about a 4G uh, watch that has connectivity the way it does. I mean, there is so much to this story, and the health aspect of what everything that they're doing right now. 
This is a much bigger story than anybody understands. And sooner or later, one of these days, we're going to hear everybody talking about wearables. I'm telling you now, and I've been saying it for a while, wearables is the spot that's going to push Apple higher. Well, the wearables could also be a key to another services stream yeah, that we yes. haven't seen yet. Well, you brought up the health I think I mean, I think you're right on that. Wearables, to me, is all about services. Mm-hmm. It's all about the ancillary uses of the phone. I, I think that the price uh, dynamic, so hearing $50 cheaper, is very important. I think it's very important for iPhone shipments where the expectations are so low uh, in terms of at least uh, a- any growth. And so the year-over-year comps are not terribly difficult, and they're not supposed to to get better. But it was, I, I think this is a bit of a surprise, frankly. And I think, if anything, you could start to see expectations for iPhone shipments to at least be kicked up a bit higher into the holiday season. I think $50 actually makes a difference for a lot of people buying this phone. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but rather than them raising, they have a phone now that's actually affordable relative mm-hmm. to the talent out there and to some of the peers. Okay, so how, how let's, let's play this out then. Okay, so they cut the price on the phone, so they were able to boost units, which we don't get, we don't get the number of units anyway. Revenues go up or revenues stay about the same because the price is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does Wall Street react when the ASPs are lower? I think okay, because uh-huh. I think this phone is sort of a placeholder, right, until so we see they get a, a pass, much bigger loss. I think they do. When you were talking about price, I thought you were going to say talking about the, uh, the TV business. That price I found the most interesting thing of the day, right? And so I think that it really furthers the uh, evolution of this being a services business and getting that multiple. I think they're going to get... Uh, I, w- I was pretty uh, kind of poo-pooed when they announced this two, th- you know, three months ago. Right. Really, what was it going to be? And I feel a lot more optimistic about what that revenue stream could be because now. Because of the pricing. Because of the pricing. Yeah. Right? Remember when Disney did that, right? Oh, right, yeah. Okay, and so now... And, and interesting to see how Netflix responded today. Netflix, Stop. Disney, Roku, Roku. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All of them getting yeah. slammed, slammed on the back of this aggressive price. Yeah, we can argue right. that maybe Roku isn't over, but we'll, go, we'll talk to that, I'm sure, later in the show. But in terms of Apple, we, one of the things we've said, stock has traded really well when compared to Facebook, which hasn't traded all that well now for the last four weeks or so, and compared, I guess, to a certain extent, to Amazon as well. I mean, Apple's really hung in there well. So you have to ask yourself, what's the level you need to look at? And again, I'll say that August... 2018 high, which was on or about $229. You're within, you know, five per, less than that now percent of getting to those levels. It probably makes a run as we go into their earnings release. So Apple's traded really well. To Pete and Tim's point, you know, healthcare is an entirely new vertical mm-hmm. that if they can integrate and get in, in even in a less than meaningful way, it's a tremendous opportunity for them. So I think 229 is the level we got to look at. It feels like it's going to get there in the foreseeable future. I'm curious. Show of hands. Based on today, more bullish on Apple than 24 hours ago? Yes? Raise your hand. The same. Is the same okay? No, I'm easily more more bullish. bullish. I I think the fact that this... this, The three are more bullish. The watch is going to be something that I think is going to be much more... I mean, we talk about accelerated, and the acceleration is really coming out of wearables. And when you look at this new watch, I think that is a game changer for them. I think over time, we are going to start seeing... Now, the phone is already less than 50%. Everybody used to say, well, how are they going to survive? I mean, the, the phone's everything. No, it's not. And that's going to continue to fall back down, even with the pricing. I think we're going to see that number in terms of the revenue going to continue to be a little bit lower and a little bit lower. And where you see the wearables, four ninety nine for the watch, really? I mean, I think that's unbelievable that they're able to get that. And because they will, Mel, I think those margins that they're getting there. you got a big old watch gonna, on your left yeah, hand. Yeah, uh, mine's all jewelry, yeah, man. Yeah, mine's, <laughs> my phone man. tells you what time it is. But, but I do love what the watch does. And 
The health aspect of what this watch does now at 499 is absolutely a game changer. It is absolutely something where it's connectivity to all kinds of different areas if there's a problem in life or whatever and monitors your health to a whole new degree. So at what point is Apple fully valued? After this run, most recently, because the whole story to me is about a multiple re-rate. So I don't think we know the multiple. And, and, and again, I talked about the blended multiple. I, I'm not the one that invented this. Um, every, every analyst in the street is now giving you a hardware multiple, With of which you're probably 11 overlay. to 12, and a services multiple, where you're anywhere from 20 to 30. Um, I'll call it 25. Um, but overall, for a company that also has all of these levers on the capital market side, they're giving you cash back, they're buying back stock, um, they're able to actually execute in a low-rate environment and actually do things with their balance sheet. Those are things that people don't really understand, and that's EPS accretive when they're buying back stock. Why are you Debbie Downer on this? I'm not. I mean, why am I Debbie <laughs> You're down? the only I'm one saying, who just stays the same. Yeah, I, I was, the I same. said yesterday I thought the stock traded well. I'm, I'm more bullish today than yesterday. No, but no, no, no. But why, not, hey, hey, why, why are you not any more bullish? Why is the story not, God, not changed? He, he actually looks sad. You picked on him. Look at him. He looks sad. Oh, I'm right sad. I, I mean, so. I, I can be more bullish. You know, we've said it over the last couple of weeks that the stock has traded really sad. well. So maybe I'm not... Not bullish enough, I guess. Is that the answer? But in terms of re-rating, yeah. if you want to play the math game, we can do that. I mean, they're going to make close to $13 a share next year. Let's call it $12.80 or so. You slap a 22 multiple on it, and they've Ooh. never gotten that. But if, you, if you're moving towards that, it's a $280 stock, which I don't think is that unrealistic in the environment that we find ourselves in. All right. For more on Apple's big event, let's bring in Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. Gene, I will ask you the same question I asked this desk. Are you more bullish on Apple today versus 24 hours ago. So, Melissa, I'm equally bullish as I was 24 hours ago, but that is <laughs> remarkably more bullish than most investors are. I think this should be a $350 as a starting point. I think a 24 multiple, a P&G multiple. That's pretty bullish, Everything Gene. they did today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unchanged from where my optimism was okay. yesterday. Uh, as far as what we saw today, just quickly, Melissa, I think that we focus a lot on the features around this. They're really honed in on the camera and the battery. Those are some of the two bigger uh, uh, hot buttons for phone uh, consumers. So they really delivered on that piece. But I think what's more important, what gets lost, and I think these details, is, is this concept that what's most important is their ability to grow their user base. And uh, I want to give credit to Doris uh, Hetu has uh, really pioneered this, uh, this, this thinking but I agree with it. Essentially, you're uh, advancing the quality of the phones that they come out with today, find themselves in other people's hands down the road in the secondary market. It doesn't sound like a glamorous topic, but it's critical to understanding this value proposition and why the stock can go higher is that their base is growing at, call it, 10% of year of iPhone users, even though iPhones that were down 15% in the past year. There's something bigger going around around the quality of their products. They are simply the world's greatest consumer tech products. They have longer lives than their first user, and that is creating uh, essentially a, a fabric of tech around consumers that I think is dramatically undervalued by investors. Gene, it's Karen. So I understand what you're saying about the base getting bigger, but help us understand this multiple issue we're talking about. When you think maybe two or three years down the line, what do you think the mix of the two businesses will be between hardware and more recurring revenue. So I think it's still going to be dramatically hardware. Today we're at, call it, 82% hardware. I think in a few years we're probably around uh, 70 75%. But this concept of hardware as a service, <laughs> I know it seems abstract here, but this idea that 
people end up, whether it's every year, every three or four years, but buying hardware on a recurring basis. I believe that, uh, appreciate Tim's uh, view about the, some of the parts, but I think that this story is, is more about just a spend, an annual spend. And, and uh, I think that it's not about the service revenue or the hardware revenue. If you're interested, uh, Apple's per user annual spend is $300. That's 3x higher than it is on Facebook uh, in the U.S., much lower globally for Facebook. So these are some impressive uh, customer base, these billion users that they have, and they're indifferent to whether it's hardware or, or, uh, or services. Gene, I got a quick question for you. I mean, we, we talk about AI all the time in a different, different categories, but what do you think right now in terms of Apple? Obviously, they went and got an executive from Google that was in that category. Now they're at Apple. What do you think of that, and what is the prognosis in terms of time frame? When are we going to see more and more of that coming out? So they try to uh, weave into days like today some of what they're doing around machine learning and AI, uh, like around photos, but that's not really the substance of it. Uh, the biggest area is around the car. I'm, I'm hesitant to say what that approach is going to be around mobility, transportation, uh, but that's probably, a, Tim Cook has long time referred to this as the mother of all AI projects. So uh, that's something that is uh, a little distant to really put some framework around. But when you think about AI, it's at its most basic level is all products, whether it's your camera, whether it's your inbox with your email, whether it's your self-driving car, are going to have to have some element of AI uh, woven inside it. And it's good that Apple has some of the best uh, people in the world working on that. Last quick question, Gene, and that is, you know, when you say Apple's going to be in the 300s, how do you get there with just a hardware, with a primarily a hardware multiple? It takes for uh, the street, this takes uh, years to get people's opinion to change about this. But I think what you will slowly see is this better focus on the user base and separately about just the overall revenue growing. And if they can show that despite... Uh, ebbs and flows and features in the product cycle or the global economy that they can show that revenue can inch higher, I think that that would deserve uh, multiple. Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola are not high-growth companies, they, but they get multiples in the mid-20%, and I think Apple deserves as such. Gene, thanks. Good to see you. Gene Munster joining us from Cupertino, California. Let's talk about the, um, the declines that we saw across the board of the media stocks based on Apple TV, four ninety nine a month. Well, I don't think TV, Apple TV Plus is, is going to be material for Apple um, for a few Even years. Even just at the pricing. Yeah. So, but I, and I, I think in terms of you know, what, what the content will be, et cetera. But um, the, the message has been very clear, and I think Netflix has rung this out. There's, there's an enormous amount of competition in the space, and it's finally coming home. And we knew that there was going to be over-the-top bundles across the entire space. Um, and now I think consumers are in a position to choose. I, I think Apple is, is in the game, but this is not why I like Apple today. I can understand why Netflix... Netflix went down. I think Roku down 10% is probably an overreaction, but I can understand why people are selling first, asking questions later, given the run Roku's had over the last six weeks. So if I'm looking across the landscape, I think the opportunity is probably in Roku. And quickly, you know, Gina 350, okay, I'll I'll play the game, but in order to get there with the 24 multiple, you're talking about $14.5 or so in earnings, which probably makes them high in the street. I commend him for having, you know, for having that conviction. But it, 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 right now, I think that's a little excessive. I could see 280, 350s probably a reach. All right, coming up, WeWork's biggest investor urging the company to shelve its IPO. Karen's got one chart that could show an even rockier road ahead for this startup. Plus, one top strategist says investors will need to brace for a pullback. He will tell us what has got him so worried. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Fast Money. We work trying to work out some of its troubles before kicking off an IPO roadshow, show, possibly even as early as next week. The company's valuation was slashed after weak demand, and now its biggest investor, SoftBank, is calling for WeWork to shell the offering. Nonetheless, sources tell our own David Faber, it is full steam ahead. Um, Karen, you're actually looking at the debt. What does the debt tell you at this point? Yeah, well, the, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting things going on. So the debt to me is very interesting. There's one particular bond we have a chart of. This is seven and seven-eighths paper due in 2025. So if you see that spike up near the right side, that's when they announced they would go public. And then now look what's happened. All of the benefit that these bonds thought they would get by equity and equity infusion of, of an IPO is completely gone. The yield on this paper, now six-year paper, 8.4%, right? So, I mean, okay, I understand the company wants to say full steam ahead. It's really kind of up to the investors now, right? This can't be, you know, giving them a warm and fuzzy feeling at WeWork headquarters that, uh, you know, that the, the IPO will proceed at a, I don't know, maybe there's a price that they'll say, okay, fine, we'll do it. I don't know. We'll see. If I, I mean, if I were a bond investor hoping to be bailed out, I'd be a little bit nervous now. Does this, if you were thinking about buying the equity on the IPO, would uh-huh. this make you think twice? No, because I think they'll have to price the equity lower. Okay. All right. It's interesting. So, so exchange stocks get whacked today. NASDAQ's down, I think, 4.5% today, which to me, again, sort of like Roku. I think it's an overreaction to its you know, situation, but I can understand what's going on here. I think it's a question of selling first, asking questions later. I think it's a mistake. I think NASDAQ probably reports month, month and a half from now. I think the numbers are going to be outstanding. And I'm, it's not just because they're our landlord. We've been talking about this for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think the sell-off in NASDAQ, if it was on the back of this, is overdone. So Karen talked about the debt. I, I would just say the other side of that is is in a, in a market where there's at least been a risk of recession, it's basically fixed versus floating. I mean, they're, they're basically borrowing it fixed and they're renting at a floating rate, which simply, uh, to make this, again, very simple, it means that they have a lot of risk to the market. And, and it gets to a place where they raised money at $47 billion earlier this year. Uh, I mean, this is, this is staggering what the market is saying about the business model and about the economy right now. I mean, you were talking about Slack the other day. Yeah. How you were thinking, oh, how can Slack even exist right. you know, with Microsoft around? Right. I mean, Slack, Uber, uh, this one. They're when all... you're hemorrhaging money at this level right. and, and you're trying to go public and everybody wants to focus on growth, growth, growth. I heard that on the network today talking about that. Well, but you look at growth oftentimes rather than... When you're losing that kind of money, you've got to have some sort of a path to make money. And what is the path when you look at some of these companies? And in Slack's case, they're going up against Microsoft. They're losing. They're already losing that game, and I think they'll continue to lose. But when you talk about WeWork, Mel, when SoftBank invests $2 billion at a price valuation of $48 billion yeah. or something, $47, $48 billion, and now you're talking about somewhere in the 14 to $18 billion range, that really speaks volumes, I think, right now in terms of, 
I would listen to SoftBank if I'm sitting on that WeWork, and I would say, hey, guys, you know, our investors are not very happy right now, and we've got to just figure this thing out and maybe push out the time frame a little bit. Just one thing. We talked about Uber when it came public and how they got a little unfortunate in timing and it was a right, difficult right. market. This is so much worse. This market we're in, this environment, this appetite for, for right. you know, money losing for the foreseeable future is way worse than when Uber came public. For more on WeWork's IPOs, ups and downs, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Alyssa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. City makes a bold gold call, like too grand bold. Our traders will debate it. Plus, Starbucks and Chipotle feeling the heat after two separate probes by regulators. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money will be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Solid gold losing a bit of shine over the past week or so as the markets rally on hopes of a trade deal. I'm glad you guys can't see what's going on here on the desk because everybody's dancing. Um, that, by the way, has not stopped City from coming out with a huge bullish call on the yellow metal saying $2,000 an ounce is possible, quote, in the next year or two as low rates, escalating recession risks and geopolitical tensions make the yellow metal an attractive alternative to equities. So are you picking up City's call on gold? You guys are just... I am lost <laughs> in the that's, disco that's, here right That's Beyonce, I think, saying yeah. that. Beyonce. That's a, that's oh, a redo right. of something else, by the way. Um, that's right. the way I like it. Okay. Anyway, that's the song, Gold to 2000. Uh, I think if you believe that the turnaround in yields over the last two or three days uh, and a, you know, almost a 30 basis point move in the 10-year uh, is, a, is a function of the deflation trade running out of steam or we were overdone, then I think gold to 2000 is going to take you some time. But all the structural elements of what took gold to five-year highs after running into 1350 resistance, I think, are still very much in place. Uh, but I, I think we've had an overbought condition in gold, and I think we're still working that off. I would not buy it at 2000. I think what we're, what's interesting about City's call and also some other calls that we've heard from the street that are getting more bullish on gold is that they're, they're underlining the sort of I don't want to say secular shift, but a real change in the way central banks are buying gold and why they are buying. They want to move away from the U.S. dollar. They want to de-dollarize their reserves. And so, therefore, they're looking for other assets, which would be gold. gold. And we've talked about that. I mean, the central bank buying, we've talked yeah. about for months on the show. Mm -hmm. Pete's been talking about gold and silver for a while as well. It's central banks are buying gold. The Chinese are buying yep. gold. The Russians are buying gold. You can look it up. You can see for yourself. So... I understand. Tim said it's working off an overbought condition. I agree 100 percent. I'm more in the city camp. You know, maybe there's a little more uh, down. Maybe there's a little more sell off here in the gold market based on the fact that bonds probably got overbought. But I do agree with city. I think gold's going higher as well. All right. Our next guest says you may want to look for cover while the market faces some pain ahead. Let's bring in Joe Zidel, chief investment strategist at Blackstone. Jay-Z, good to have mm -hmm. you back. Thanks for having me back. Good to has, see you. Has nothing changed? I mean, we've seen this sort of shift 
um, rotation, right, out of the momentum trade into some of these bean. That that doesn't give you any hope that that the market is settling in, no. and, and yields have gone higher too. Which has no, helped. I think it's all a reflection of this, you know, renewed optimism on on trade talks, right? Mm-hmm. So last week, you know, the U.S. announced that it would be engaging uh, China in in October, and you saw the curve re-steepen. You right. saw equities catch this bid. You know, credit spreads remain pretty orderly, and I think it's this newfound hope that something's going to get done. Um, but I'm a little bit more pessimistic. I don't think that we're going to see any quick resolution to trade whatsoever. So I think this this move back to, you know, a pitching wedge away from from all time highs in the market is is really just much more of a head fake. I think there's there's downside risk. And if you look at what China's been doing recently in order to prepare for, um, you know, this trade war, basically you know, they've retaliated against the United States by taking up their tariffs, but they're lowering tariffs to the rest of the world. In other words, they're prepared for a prolonged fight here. So I think any hope of a uh, quick resolution here is, is misplaced. So I'm a little skeptical on the gold as a deflation hedge when I've heard it as an inflation hedge for the, you know, 25 everything years. Hedge. Prior, right? Yeah. Okay. It's an everything hedge. Why explain the deflation hedge part? Sure. I mean, I think it's been a very interesting move watching gold as this sort of like antidote to all these negative yielding bonds all around the world. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, are you are you better off holding gold or, you know, 10 year or 30 year German bonds at negative yields? You know, neither one's necessarily going to pay you, but at least gold has a chance of, of maybe going up. So I think that's sort of the conventional wisdom that's that's driving gold. Uh, and, you know, my guess is that if the ECB does have to bring, you know, more rate cuts and and some sort of significant QE package, then, you know, maybe rates in Europe will will dip back lower. And I think that would provide a a little bit more of a a lift to gold prices. If trade breaks down, which I expect to happen, you know, perhaps you see, you know, another move up for gold. So I think people are looking at it as this sort of like antidote to all these negative yielding bonds out there. So it, it does seem to make sense. Joe, inherent in your pessimistic view is, is a credit view. There has to be, right? Um, when, what, what's the timeline for you on, on when we really start to see uh, credit spreads widen out? Because as you said, so far so good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a really good question. And for me, it comes back to yield curves, right? Yield curves are the best predictors of business and economic cycles. And it's not just the yield curve in the United States that inverted, right? It, it, it tends to inverted uh, a couple weeks ago. They, they've now re-steepened on the hopes of trade. But in the month of August, you basically saw seven or eight different uh, parts of the world with inverted yield curves. And that was the most since 2006, 2007. So all around the world, it's telling you that you know, there are economic problems that are brewing. And I think, you know, from my perspective, at least, we could start the, the countdown timer on the end of this expansion, which means at some point it is going to translate into, uh, into some sort of credit event. When it happens, you know, it's a good question. From the time the tens, twos, inverts, you generally have about 20 months before a recession. That's the average. And that means there's never been a recession 20 months later. It's, it's, it's either shorter or longer. Right? It's the beautiful law of averages. Uh, so if you have to take an over-under on when, the, when this expansion is going to end, I, I, would say it's, I would take the under at this point. You know, I think trade tensions globally are causing a manufacturing recession, and I think that spills over to the broader economy. You know, you've got Germany, who's, you know, for all intents and purposes, in recession. Italy's been there. You know, the U.K. is there. You know, Japan is headed toward there. Singapore is very trade exposed. Right? They had a, a massively negative GDP mm-hmm. print. All these things, I think, will translate into a credit event at some point. My guess is it probably happens sooner than the market thinks. So how do you think we finish out the year? And I know it's sort of an ambiguous question, but it almost feels like we're setting up similarly to how we set up for the uh, end of last year Mm -hmm. in that the backdrop looks a little worse. I mean, the the main thing that's changed is that we have a supportive Fed. 
Yeah. You have a Fed that's already said, you know what, we're, we're going to do whatever we need to do. And that is, of course, a big help. But at the same time, right now, we've got tariffs in place and tariffs going higher. We've got an economic backdrop that hasn't necessarily improved compared to last year. And we're entering an earnings season where companies are going to be talking about the impact of all those tariffs. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You know, earlier uh, you were talking about Apple. And if you think about Apple for a second, you know, the iPhone, at least this iPhone right here, I don't know about the new ones, but this iPhone travels about 500,000 miles before it ends up on a store shelf, right? When you think about the Apple supply chain, this iPhone goes through 45 different countries and 1,000 suppliers. It would literally get upgraded on United before I would. It's got more miles. So as you think about the unintended consequences of trade, you've got to wonder, is it going to be a corporate profit story because of higher input costs, or is it going to be like a consumer CPI story because companies pass those along? Neither one of them are good. So in terms of how we set up for the end of the year, uh, I think that the highs that we hit you know, back in April that we're now testing, uh, I think are going to be the highs for the year. I think markets are going to be more volatile and probably trade down. At the beginning of the year, we came out with a price target uh, of about uh, 2900 or so on the S&P 500. So we thought the market would be up plus 15% for the year. Uh, we've hit it. We're, we're sticking with that target. I see more volatility, and I think risks are to the downside. All right, Joe, thanks so much. Good to see you. Uh, Joe Zidal, a.k.a. Jay-Z. We do have breaking news here on Peloton. Let's get to Deirdre Bosa. She's got the details. Deirdre. Hey, Melissa. Peloton just moments ago filing an amended S1 ahead of its expected IPO. It will be offering 40 million shares at a range of $26 to $29 per share. That should raise it between $1.04 to $1.16 billion. We're still crunching the numbers and tell you what kind of valuation that gives the company. But it was last valued at $4.15 billion in the private market. And it is expected to kick off its roadshow tomorrow. Back to you. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. So Peloton to start the roadshow tomorrow in this kind of environment, Guy. No, and I tell you, the people on both sides of the spectrum there, a lot of people say completely overvalued. They're selling $2,000 bikes, $5,000 treadmills. There are other people that say it's a transformative device, both the bike and the the treadmill, and that the service side of things, $50 a month is a small price to pay. I probably come down on that, but I can understand if you think this is totally overvalued and probably top-ticking the market in terms of another WeWork type of IPO. Coming up, Alibaba Executive Chairman Jack Ma stepping down today. We will tell you what is next for the Chinese e-commerce giant. Plus, it's a double fast casual buzzkill with Starbucks and Chipotle tanking today. We'll find out what moved these stocks and if more trouble is ahead. Much more fast money served up hot right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jack Ma stepping down as Alibaba's executive chairman. Deidre Bosa's in San Francisco to break down what could be the next for the e-commerce giant. Deidre. Well, Melissa, in true Jack style, he bid farewell with a rock ballad to employees. Take a look. He was in full getup with an electric guitar at Alibaba's 20th anniversary party that coincided with his retirement and his 55th birthday. Now, he said that today wasn't about the retirement of Jack Ma, but the beginning of a legacy of succession. And while Ma is certainly still going to be involved with the company, he hands over leadership of the $460 billion tech giant to a bunch of very well-seasoned executives. There's Daniel Zhang. He has long been groomed for this job. He's been CEO since 2015, now steps into the executive chairman role as well. He's credited with creating the Singles Day Bonanza and Alibaba's offline push 
Other faces to know as Alibaba enters a new phase of growth. Our CFO, Maggie Wu, a staple on earnings calls. Joe Tsai, executive vice chairman and second largest individual shareholder after Ma. There's Jeff Zhang, the CTO leading Alibaba's exploding cloud strategy. And others, they take over as China's e-commerce market is expected to top nearly $2 trillion this year. And Alibaba makes a big, big bets beyond e-commerce into brick and mortar groceries, video content, and expands beyond China to some mixed success. Now, also, it, they take over amid China's economic slowdown, a trade war and protests in Hong Kong. Melissa, back to you. Now, we're going to trade this, Deidre, but before we get to that, I have to ask you, because, I mean, I, the last time Jack Ma, I think it was maybe an annual shareholders meeting or something like that, he did a Michael Jackson get-up <laughs> thing. Um, and so this time around, if we can show the picture again, is he actually singing or is he lip-syncing? And what? who is he supposed to be here? Well, you know, Jack Ma does not shy away from singing himself. So I'm told that it was a Chinese rock ballad. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get any clips, but they did publish these photos. And it was two years ago, Melissa, um, that he performed as Michael Jackson. He drove up in a motorcycle. And this is their annual employee celebration, the anniversary of Alibaba. And it's not just Jack that does performances, but a lot of the employees get involved. It's a very Chinese uh, celebration. Yep. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. In all seriousness, though, <laughs> what does this mean for Alibaba? By the way, I, I think he was doing Jovi's Never Say Goodbye. Really? If I, yeah, I mean, really? Yeah, if I was doing a rock ballad right now and I was leaving my company, I'd, you know, but, but anyway. We, we've known that this event was going to take place for a long time. Right. I, I think if you look at the valuation of the company, uh, Alibaba has been having trouble um, getting the multiple you know, kind of past this 30, where if you, if you compare it to Amazon, um, Amazon, who they, are, they continue to defeat, at least in China, um, through Tmall and direct-to-consumer. Um, I think Alibaba is a company looking for a catalyst. And I think right now people are still very concerned about how they are spending to maintain market share. But right now there's nobody close, and I like the valuation. And I look at it, the forward, I believe, is 20 when I'm looking at, looking at that. And you look at e-commerce and you look at cloud, and I think cloud is one of those areas that will still see growth. So the fact that they own e-commerce there in China and moving in the rest of the world, and you've got the cloud growth, and you've got the digital media, I think you've got enough there where this stock seems to me to look fairly cheap right now. And because of that, I love the fact that they have a succession plan. It's been in place. We all know that. It's been out in front of everybody. So at some point in time, we were expecting this day, and here it is. And I think it might add the catalyst that you're talking about, Tim. Maybe a new CEO actually really getting in there and, and running this actually propels them to the next level. I always thought Ant Financial was really interesting, right? And uh, who knows what valuation that would have if, right. we, if we were to see that spun out some way. So, I, I, I mean, I guess in the shorter term, it just trades with China and trade and all that. But I, I find it intriguing and not so crazy expensive. All right. Coming up, coffee and carnitas. What a combination. Shares of Starbucks and Chipotle both feeling the heat on Wall Street today. We'll tell you what is weighing on those names and how to trade the moves. Plus, energy stocks lighting up as the best performing sector today. But one trader is betting on a big breakdown for this group. We will explain. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's Blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks shares tanking today with the SEC questioning the coffee giant's revenue recognition policies. Starbucks has agreed to provide the SEC with some additional disclosures. Tim, you're an owner. Should we be concerned? This is concerning. I mean, you know, revenue recognition is, is not something I, I, I think people are really even diving into. In fact, the big issues around Starbucks, the concept of accounting shenanigans is, is nowhere in this price. In fact, the company gets a major premium from corporate governance perspective. So um, I think when you add that to just uh, recent announcements that there was higher interest expense, higher tax rates, and they were cutting 2020 guidance, um, or at least some uncertainty around this, when we had just gotten a reaffirmation, is also concerning. And right. when taken together, it, 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 I, you know, I hope they don't go together, is, that, mm-hmm. is the point. I, I think yeah. it is that sort of that drumbeat of... Yeah. Of, we have guidance. We're going to take down guidance, and now, now this. Mm. That really. Yeah, I think you're question. right. Because this, on its own, I would think maybe this is just a timing question. And this will get resolved without it being material. But it does together. It does make you wonder when you trade a big multiple. I mean, huge same multiple. For, multiple yeah. for Chip, you know, for Chipotle. And then did that, this also huh? get swept up in the whole rotation out of momentum names, yep. right? The names that have been working. And I think that's, that's, you know, you don't look at valuation until you have to look at it. And then something like this comes up and say, well, wait a second, Starbucks is trading 30 times. Maybe in this environment, maybe we should, again, shoot first, ask questions later. That's why it probably has further downside. I mean, it's not an indictment totally, but I think the valuation comes into the crosshairs now. And that would be a bit concerning, I think. All right. From coffee to carnitas, Chipotle losing 5% today. Now New York City suing the company for work week law violations. Despite this drop, Chipotle is still up 81% this year. But will the burrito bash <laughs> continue? You didn't say that, did you? Just, I just did. Did you write that or no? You just no, no. At least I just, it wasn't I the burrito just, blowout. No, no that's, that's different. <laughs> is, isn't, is blowout bad or good? I, I depends depends where you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It really does. Chipotle, what's yeah. the trade, please? Well, I still think there's downside because I think, like Starbucks, this is very stretched. I, I love what they're doing. I love the CEO. I think he's put a great plan in place, and the stock has reacted extremely well to the upside. But when you look at valuation, at some point, you have to say to yourself, wow, this thing is really stretched. And I think that point has been reached. So I do think there's more downside to this. I would not be jumping on this first drop to the downside. I think there's more to come. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, so yesterday, oh, 62 was the right number. Today, we got to scale it back 58 times. That's the number. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 58 seems high as well. I, I, I agree. Maybe just let it let it, the momentum take it a little bit further. We should note that on other names in the fast suit space, we're also down today. Like yeah. McDonald's. That rotation McDonald's. Is, is, yeah. is more than just a coincidence. And think about, you know, people were willing to look at food stocks. We've talked about it on the show. We've probably done more segments on food stocks, which if, if in, in of itself is maybe a reason to be selling them. Um, because I think we got to a place where I think you, you, these were very defensive, high multiple names, high free cash flow uh, in a very difficult market. So it's not a big surprise. Well, we love a good taste. Oh, yeah. sure. I love it. We do it all the time here. You know, I like the I like the network, as you know, I've mentioned it all the time, and you do a fan, you, you're on all day long, but you have your own show, a designated show from 2 o'clock to 3, I think it was today, you know, I get confused at my age, but you had the, didn't you have the Wedbush what analyst you, on? Oh, we had him on yesterday. Yesterday, see, I told you, upgraded $980 price target, and he, had, yeah. he addressed many of the things we're talking about, so... I'm not, listen, it's not going to 98 tomorrow, and I tend to agree, you don't buy it on the first swath down, given the valuation, but I think Chipotle is going to be a pretty compelling story. But this wasn't story. news today that it, has you sell this stock, right? I it's mean, a I, valuation. I think, isn't that our point? 
Because this, this, this isn't news that takes this stock. New York State suing these guys for... It, it seems for, like a 3.5% move in McDonald's lower is equivalent to a 6% move in Chipotle. Yes, yeah. right. I would. that's okay. fair on, on beta. Coming up, crude under pressure today, breaking its five-day win streak. Options traders are betting on even more pain ahead for the energy space. We'll break down the action. And take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is weighing in on the move in gold in the Treasury market. That's coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Debating, I'll show whether or not I was going to say this. Um, all junk in the trunk jokes aside. Oh, you wow. said it. Forrest nice. debt rating was cut to junk it. status by Moody's Investor Service, which cited weaker cash flow and falling profit margins for the automaker. Is there any way for the stock to make a U-turn here? What does it say about the stock, Karen? I, I don't know. I'd be concerned because I think actually this is kind of a big deal that potentially one of the largest issuers of investment grade out there is hanging by one rating agency away from junk. And what does that do to any index holder of investment grade who needs to sell it? sell this, right. They have to sell it if it becomes a junk piece of paper, right? That, to me, is scary. Of course, that would be bad for the the stock, but I think the debt part is far more interesting. So even if this doesn't mean a wave of fallen angels, as they are called. Right. You think that it's concerning enough that just Ford's move on its own to the lower index it was Could precipitate selling. I mean, I think it, it was it was a tiny ripple of of, of sort of, you know, uh, of a response. It should have been something more than that, I think. Well, we've talked often about the triple B threat. Mm-hmm. And, and this yeah. is a prime example of a company that uh, if you start to see a downturn. I'm sorry. A prime oh. example of a triple oh, B threat. Oh, nice. the anyway. we, that was beyond <laughs> me, Karen. Credit <laughs> <laughs> humor is <laughs> only on fast money. Oh, that's it. Well, I mean, my point here is if you look at Ford relative to GM, um, they're two yeah. totally different balance yeah. sheets. Ford has still Ford Motor Credit and, and a, lot of, a lot of legacy issues that haven't entirely been cleaned up. So uh, I do think they're apples and oranges, and I think that's why the stocks behave very differently. For you, first of all, I can't believe, you know, and there are times when you say to yourself, I'm not going to read what's in the telegram. That was one of those times. So you decided to do it because you knew it would twerk the rest of us. So yeah. good for you. Because I did you succeeded. To you, actually. And you were you're successful in your attempt. Now, just looking at a technical <laughs> thing, and you look at Ford, I mean, this stock has made since 2015 at a market that's effectively at the all time high. This stock has gone from 16.5 down to where it's trading now, a series of lower lows and lower highs. And one has to ask themselves if we're within the crosshairs of seeing the December low, which was on or about 780. And quickly, I'm not comparing the companies. But I am comparing the charts. Gee's doing the same damn thing, by the way. <laughs> Similar, watch right? Your mouth. Huh? Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. I, yeah, mean, I can't I mean, say same darn thing. Same darn thing. Yeah. Sorry. I no feel reason. like this whole block was just, we just deteriorated. <laughs> you started it. Sloppy. You yeah. decided to make that run. I didn't know I was opening the gates here. Uh, let's move on here. Crude oil was headed for its fifth positive day in a row. And then President Trump tweeted that John Bolton was fired from his post as White House National Security Advisor. And now options traders are betting on energy stocks. Uh, that will follow crude lower. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the options. Mike. Yeah, so looking at XLE, the energy sector ETF, we saw about two times the average daily put volume today. One of the trades that I was taking a look at was the October 11th weekly, 60 and a half strike puts. Somebody spent about $1.30 for those. They're making a bearish bet that XLE is going to fall 3.5% between now and October 11th when those expire. That's 31 days from today. And as you pointed out, energy stocks tend to track oil 
And oil often has a tendency to move further, farther along than uh, you normally would expect. But in this case, we're still trading well within the band of its 52-week highs and lows. And I think what's going on here, if you take a look at the tenor of the trade and the relatively close strike, is they're really just playing for short term volatility and taking this boost that we've seen recently in energy stocks as a trading opportunity to make a bet that it might actually dip within the next four weeks or so. Are you still in a bunch of integrated, Pete? I'm in some names, if not as much exposure as I had in the past. I still own Exxon. Today, I actually bought Whiting Petroleum because we had some paper in there as well. I think the turn is now. I think, I think the energy stocks, once again, are going to be a warm place to be, not a hot place to be, but a good place to be for some upside, Mel. Especially today, we were up over 58. I mean, it's been a nice move in oil that quietly has moved higher, it seems like, as we go talk about the rest of the market. And I think there's a lot of energy names that you could go after. Slumberger is one of those names. So finally, yeah. we've, you know... For a long time, I've started to say, you know what, the bottom should be in, and it hasn't been. But now, maybe for the first time in a while, given some of the things they've said over the last week and given the fact that maybe Pete's onto something in energy, maybe SLB up again today looks interesting, for, again, for the first time in a long time. If you look at the energy space and you're trying to find the fundamentals in the balance between supply and demand, um, U.S. production, which has been of record note, is slowing into next year because of the lack of investment, because of the slowing, because a lot of these shale companies can't be profitable. At some point, that changes that balance actually very much in favor of demand. All right, Mike, good to see you. Thank you, Mike Cohen, San Francisco, for more options action. Tune into the live show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade, Pete and Jerry. Mel, I think Lulu visits and goes over 200. Once again, they were buying the September, last week in September, 200 calls today. Giddy up, this thing's going higher. Sam Seymour. We spent some time talking about Apple Plus. How about Disney Plus? I think Disney, watch that 130 level, which is the level we gapped up to after this announcement. I think you buy Disney here. Chairwoman. Yes, although I love J.P. Morgan. What an extraordinary run in the last 10 days. It's, uh, you know, I think it's come so far. Time to take a little money off the table. For me, that means selling some upside calls in November, selling the 120s. Still love Jamie. Of course. Well, of course. Of course. The given. That won't change. And he's, you know he's watching. So uh, he got better. Throw, what? Yeah. No, he's absolutely watching. He'll text you after the show, no doubt. Uh, luck and coffee, you know, again, everything getting caught up in the maelstrom. There's an E in the middle of that. Yes, I think maybe mail, LK mail is one of those Trump. names as well. Thumbs up. That does it for us. See you back job. here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.